Do you ever find yourself confused when it comes to health and fitness? Have you been searching relentlessly on the most effective ways to achieve your fitness-related goals, only to find yourself even more frustrated? Well, we've got you covered. It's time to learn from the best, shorten your learning curve, and truly understand how to achieve your goals without spinning your wheels and wasting precious time. Welcome to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast. Welcome back to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Mike Perry, and I'm here, as always, with my good friend, Brett Jones. Brett, how are you doing today, buddy? Fabulous, Mike. Uh, looking forward to diving into today's topic. I think something the two of us know a little bit about. Yeah, unfortunately, we do. And, and unfortunately, about 80 to 90% of uh, all Americans have experienced this as well. And it's, it's training with low back pain. And, and not only training with low back pain, but just learning how to manage low back pain, because it is something that um, pretty much everybody I know has experienced and, and has to work through. So, um, you know, I have my story, um, you have your story as well. So um, why don't we start with you and let's, let's talk about um, a little bit of your history and, and stuff that's happened in the past and, you know, what you did to sort of overcome that. And, uh, and I can do the same thing and then we can give people some strategies on how to manage it and how to, uh, you know, start that process of healing, et cetera. Absolutely. So going way back in time, um, I first injured my back in high school and uh, an individual on my wrestling team thought it would be really funny to run across the room and spear me, uh, tackle me from behind and spear me in my low back. Um, that hurt and uh, was the beginning of my, my low back issues. And uh, of course I didn't, you know, continued through practice until I couldn't, you know, continue. Uh, so might've done some extra wear and tear, uh, at that time, but you know, that's back in, uh, 10th grade. So going back quite a few years, um, and had some rehab, um, you know, missed, that was actually what started me towards the direction of wanting to be a physical therapist is having some rehab for my low back and, you know, things of that nature. And of course ended up being an athletic trainer and blah, 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 blah. So on and off low back pain for quite some time, um, actually ended up having an L5 S1 laminectomy in 2003. Um, and actually went on to do powerlifting and, and all of my best lifts after having had uh, back surgery. So the decision to have back surgery was one, uh, you know, I did conservative uh, methods for about six, seven months. And uh, when I was driving home from work one day, I sneezed. I almost passed out from the pain and because uh, I was having real bad sciatica and, and uh, sitting was bad. Uh, sitting and sneezing was a really bad idea. And uh, so, you know, when I got home, I literally called the surgeon and was like, OK, let's book it. Yeah. And, hey, are uh, you available tomorrow? <laughs> yeah, I'll do this as soon as possible. Um and, um, you know, I have had on and off uh, back pain just at different times, um, could be related to, um, you know, sitting too much, could be related to uh, a, a variety of factors, very rarely, if ever, uh, and really, if ever, related to my training. Like, I, I just, I, I haven't really hurt myself in, in my training. And um, so 2016? I think 
I ended up having um, epidurals. I had a series of three epidurals at um, uh, L5S1 and uh, L4, L5. And, um, or maybe it was four, four, five, three, four. Anyway, there was two lumbar levels and three series of three epidurals. Um, cause I, you know, I was just having raging nerve pain. It was, uh, it was, it, it was not fun. And, um, then during cancer treatment, um, the first week of cancer treatment, I come downstairs and I, I go to set my computer down kind of lean forward a little bit, set my computer down. And I felt that feeling and anybody that has, you know, experienced this sort of low back pain, you, when you feel that feeling, you're like, Oh, oh no. <laughs> yeah. Here, here it comes. <laughs> here it comes. And so within a couple of days, um, and like I said, during cancer treatment, uh, I end up, um, I end up in the hospital because L304 has, uh, decided to become an issue. And, um, yeah, it was, it was not fun. So, you know, I've, I've had, I've had a, a pretty long run from high school, um, all the way through to, um, as recently as, um, coming up on two years ago, um, having had different issues and, uh, you know, nerve pain. The funny thing is I've very rarely had back pain. Um, I've had nerve pain. And, um, that is, uh, spectacular when it's, uh, when it's fired up. But, uh, so that, that's kind of the history of the situation. Now, now during that time, I've obviously, um, you know, I've power lifted, I've done strongman training. I've, um, I've done a variety of kettlebell work. Um, so I, I'm physically, I've accomplished, you know, a, a good amount, um, in that time frame. So, um, when even coming out, out of back surgery, I never considered myself somebody that had a bad back, um, you know, had issues. I've certainly been through enough with, with my back, but I've never considered myself to have a bad back. Um, and if you looked at my, the, the MRI they did a couple of years ago when, when L304 went, um, it's, uh, it's an interesting read. To, to go, to go through the report, but, um, but yet since then, you know, back to training, you know, swinging the 48 double 32s, you know, feeling good. Um, and you know, but I, I know when it's a day to back off, I know when it's a day to push a little and, um, you know, I, I do what I need to, to manage the, uh, manage the situation. So, so I've, 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 uh, been down the dirt gravel road of, uh, back issues. Gotcha. So uh, without, you know, going into crazy detail about sort of your, your rehab process and, and what you were focusing on, um, you know, what was your basic game plan as it came to sort of getting your back to where you wanted it to be? What, what were you trying to focus on? Um, and what were those sort of sequential steps to help you get to back, you know, get back to fully functional? Like what were your, what were your main priorities? So um, uh, light aerobic activity walking elliptical you know get the blood moving um restoring mobility and for me um my leg raise will get tight and primarily because a lot of anterior chain hip flexor quad sort of uh, stuff and then stabilizing the midsection and so my complicating factor there is i, I do have a history of a 
um, a large ventral hernia and I've had a uh, repair with a big piece of Gore-Tex mesh put in my gut and um, I had, still have a diastasis. So if I overly pressurize, Kawato uh, shows up and uh, that's a total recall movie reference. Schwarzenegger version, not the, not the more recent version. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I still have the diastasis there. So sometimes midsection stability is um, fleeting uh, for me, depending on how I, how I pressurize. But uh, yeah, get that mobility, make sure I can stabilize in the midsection. And then it's really just good quality movement and exercise. It's getting back to uh, deadlifts, single leg deadlifts, swings, um, you know, all of, all of those sorts of things. Very good. Yeah. It's uh, you know, very similar to my story and, and my approach in which that I took to, you know, rehabilitate myself. And, uh, obviously with the help of, um, you know, some smart people around me as well. So, uh, we'll, we'll kind of tell my story. So I grew up playing a lot of soccer. Um, and I was, uh, um, at the time I was just, I didn't realize how hard I was on my body. I was that guy that had a, uh, really good gas pedal, but the braking system wasn't optimal. And, you know, I was that guy that had enough horsepower to, to break parts on the car type scenario. Um, I never knew it at the time. Um, now I know it and I have a very different approach, but, um, you know, for me, I was a pretty athletic, strong guy. So there wasn't too many things athletically that I could not do. And, and I'm not saying that because, you know, I was a stud athlete, but I was just fairly athletic and fairly strong. And I was young and pretty dumb at the same time. So, um, you know, I was all about doing, doing the hard stuff. Right. So I played, played a lot of soccer and, uh, you know, over the years, I, in my soccer career, I really didn't have too many low back issues. Occasionally things would start to get a little, uh, you know, a little upset, but not too, too bad, but it wasn't until I was in my early twenties and I was, uh, doing a lot of high intensity exercise. Uh, um, I was actually doing CrossFit workouts before there was even a CrossFit gym or box anywhere. I was getting them off the website. Right. And I was doing all this crazy stuff cause I could, and because it was hard and that honestly, that's how I sort of viewed exercise at that time. If I, you know, I could just go and, and kick my, uh, kick my own butt in those workouts. And I'll be honest, I was pretty good at it. So I was, you know, competing and writing my times down and, you know, doing all the crazy workouts. But I remember, um, specifically, you know, I was doing uh, hang cleans and, um, I was tired and I was going heavy and I caught a hang clean and I was coming up. I just felt a little pop up and I was like, Hmm, that's interesting. And, uh, in about 10 minutes later, you know, exactly what I'm talking about. Um, I'm on the ground and I just talk about nerve pain and, and I was down and I was, I was out for the count. Um, uh, went home, uh, laid down, you know, rested and, uh, decided it was time to go to the doctors. Um, went to the ER. They wouldn't take me in. <laughs> it was like a three hour wait. And I was like, Oh my gosh. Um, at that point, luckily I was able to get in with an orthopedic doctor that I knew and he, he took care of me. And, you know, basically we started off with prednisone and, you know, the, the normal sort of, you know, I jacked my low backup starter pack, a little bit of prednisone, maybe a little flexor all. And depending on where you are with the pain standpoint, um, you know, something to manage the pain. Uh, you know, I try to stay away from, you know, opiates, uh, if, if I need to, because of the fact that, um, they just don't make me feel good. So I started with Advil and occasionally, yes, I did have to use, you know, something a little bit stronger because I was just, uh, I was in a lot of pain and I was actually on my back for probably four to five days, just sitting in my living room, not sitting, <laughs> laying down in the hook lying or 90, 90 position. Um, 
and then eventually I, I just started to, to get a little bit more functional. And, and it's funny, you mentioned aerobic activity. Um, I'm not a big walker. My wife, she'll walk in like the middle of a, a blizzard, right? I, I walk anywhere from 10 to 12 miles inside my gym every day. So I don't go for random walks because I'm running around managing people at the gym. But um, when my back is is flared up and, and I need to sort of start that process of feeling better, walking is the best thing for me. And that is something that... Uh, that's the advice that I give a lot of people. Now, if you are in a chronic scenario where your nerve is just super hot and you are in a lot of pain, I wouldn't recommend going out for a jaunt. You know, I would try to let that calm down a little bit. And then you have to make that decision on when you feel it's appropriate to start to move. But for me, it's always been the same thing. Walking has been super therapeutic. And I tell a lot of my clients, and I've even heard this from several clinicians that, you know, walking is one of the best things that you can absolutely do to sort of start with that rehabilitation process. And from a physiological standpoint, and from a mechanical standpoint, there's a lot of things that happen, a lot of good things that happen when you walk. Um, so uh, I would highly recommend that people uh, follow that approach. And, and then it was just, again, regaining my mobility, because again, when you have that, that flare up of that, those nerves going a little crazy, everything around that area gets super tight and it, it just locks down. And, and what you're dealing with at that point is yes, you're dealing with some of the nerve pain and some of the pain uh, in general, but from a neurological standpoint, your body's just locking that area down, right? It's just saying, Hey, I'm going to tighten everything up because I don't want this area to move. But at a certain point, you have to slowly improve your range of motion and, and slowly improve function while at the same time, respecting the fact that your body only wants you to move in this incremental fashion, because if you overdo it, that's when you're going to start to uh, irritate it again. So it, it's kind of having this, in my opinion, having this little bit of a, I don't want to say a battle with your body, but your, 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 your nervous system is doing one thing and you have to slowly convince that, Hey, these exercises that I'm doing are safe. And this is going to be to my benefit. Um, and, and that's, that's a very slippery slope, a slippery slope as well, but, um, learning how to, how to slowly progress in a way that's not going to result in, in, you know, a setback, right. It's, you may have a little bit of an irritation and then you may notice the next day it starts to get better, but, but same thing started to improve my, my movement quality. And then it was just starting to repattern all those different things, like my hip hinge, my single leg stance, um, obviously, uh, you know, overall core function, but just the basic patterns. And it was just incremental loading. And that is something that, um, absolutely helped me. And it wasn't a scenario. And, and I'm sure you've heard this a bazillion times too. You know, you, you hurt your back cause you have weak glutes and a weak core. Well, listen, I mean, I'm a pretty decently strong guy, not as strong as I used to be, but I don't think my issue was weak glutes and a weak core. Um, that, and, and for a lot of athletes, that's not the case because if that was the case, we could do a bunch of planks. We could do some rolling patterns. We could do, you know, some bridging or some single leg deadlifts and everybody's back would feel better. Right. Well, yeah, it'd be nice if that was the case, but it's not, but I, I think we're, we're, we're definitely on the same page from, um, you know, sort of the, the step-by-step -step rehab process for sure. Definitely. And, and let's, let's talk about pain for just a minute. Um, because, the, the science and understanding of pain has developed a lot over the last um, couple of decades. And, you know, there's the old Cartesian model where, you know, you put, and it's, it's a classic picture. It's a guy by a fire and his foot is in the fire. What he was doing, I don't know, but, you know, you have this foot in the fire and you have this line up to the brain and, you know, obviously, the, the pain is there because of that. Um, so 
pain is way more complicated. It's, it's not just foot in fire pain. Um, because if your foot's in the fire and there's a lion coming to get you, you're probably not aware of the foot in the fire. You're probably going to run away, right? Your, your, your survival mechanism certainly kicks in. And we see this all the time in uh, battlefield situations where somebody gets shot and they don't realize it until the, the danger has passed. Um, so pain is a decision by the brain. It is an output based on multiple factors. And uh, there's, I'm going to, we're not putting these on video, but I am currently holding up a small pamphlet, a, a small <laughs> book by a guy named Adrian uh, Lau. And uh, we can put that in the show notes and, and people can, can find this book, Why Do I Hurt? And it, it, it kind of lays out this, this discussion of, uh, of, of pain. And, and, you know, let's be honest. Uh, when there's tissue damage, um, there's an inflammatory process. There's a healing process that occurs. Pain is part of that. Um, pain is a, can be a protective mechanism where your body is throwing up the red flag and saying, Hey, Hey, don't do that right now. Like there's a problem. Um, but when you have the flu and you're running a temperature and your whole body aches, why is that output there? Like that's pain. That's your, your achy and sore. And unless somebody snuck in during the night and gave you a tenderizing session with a baseball bat, there's, there's no tissue damage reason for you to be feeling that output. But there are receptors in our neurological system that respond to white blood cells and uh, inflammatory response of dealing with uh, an illness. And so there's a lot of reasons that, that your body will, will, will start to create this output known as pain. Um, let me pause and say, you should work with a healthcare provider to define why you're having pain, okay? You should work with your doctor, your Cairo, your healthcare provider, and you should find out why you are having pain. Yes, I said that twice because it's <laughs> that important. Um, because people will avoid that. Um, and the, cause there's, and we may have talked about this on, on a previous podcast. I'm not sure. Uh, but there's, there's lots of reasons for low back pain. And, you know, I do this all the time teaching workshops. Is it, could it be glutes that aren't strong enough? Could it be tight hip flexors? Could it be? And let's be honest, just, just to pause for a second. Can we stop blaming the hip flexor for everything? <laughs> it's I, I just, as. it's tight. So as it's it, that's the reason for everything Take give it, a, take a breath. Um, but other things that will give you back pain, uh, cancer, kidney disease, colon cancer, referred yep. pain patterns. Um, you sure it's a tight hip flexor. You sure it's the psoas. Do you, do you want to bank on that right now? We both have the experience of knowing that there's times where those, those preventive and, you know, those odd little things that you could easily ignore are things that you should pay attention to and, and go get looked at. Um, so you should definitely, and there is the, the concept of this nonspecific low back pain where doctors don't know why you're having back pain, but at least we're checking the boxes on the other stuff, right? If we can rule things out and we can be relatively sure it's not cancer, it's not 
uh, a kidney issue. It's not one of these other things that can masquerade as, as low back pain. We need to go through that process. And I think, you know, you and I have had that experience of of working through the healthcare system, whether it's for our back or other things, and too many people avoid it. Yeah. It's unfortunate because, uh, you know, again, you're right. People do blame it. Um, in our world, they tend to blame it more on, you know, tight this week, this right. Um, and, and there's several different models and, um, there's, there's several different aspects of, of, you know, of pain and, and, and stress and how all of those things intertwine to create this, sometimes perfect storm for, for what the heck's going on. So, um, but like Brett said, listen, if you don't know uh, why that pain's there, it, it, it's, it's a quick, it's a quick visit to a doctor or to work with a clinician just to, to rule out the big stuff. Right. I mean, you may not get to the bottom of exactly why you have, um, something going on specifically and in, in with a low back issue, but at the same time, it's good to rule out the bigger stuff to make sure that it's not nothing serious. Right. And when I say serious, we're talking about, you know, it could be like Brett said, it could be, it could be cancer. It could be, you know, some really significant stuff. And I'm not saying that the other back pain, uh, is, is not significant. It's just, again, we're talking about like, you know, these things that could potentially, uh, alter the course of your life. Right. I mean, we want to, we want to get those big rocks out of the way. Um, so that's, that's something to absolutely, uh, absolutely to, to think about and, and, and to consider when you are uh, starting that process. So, um, so let me ask you this, Brett, um, you know, when it comes to, when it comes to obviously in that acute state, we, we want to do what we can to, to get as comfortable as possible. And from that point, when is it appropriate in your, in your opinion, to start, to start exercising um, and, and sort of what do we have to think about from a pain standpoint? I mean, should we be completely pain-free? Should there be minimal? Like wh what, are, what do you recommend when you're working with individuals that, you know, have low back pain, but we know, we know that it's not nothing serious, potentially they're, they're coming out of physical therapy and you're, you're there to help continue that process. What, what, what do you tend to look for and what path do you tend to follow? Let's separate that into two conversations because there's the acute, uh, low back pain. Yep. Maybe you were that person who was back squatting or doing a stone lift and stone man and strongman training or shovel, you know, trying to get a stump out of the yard. Like, you know, may maybe it's that acute boom. We, we know what happened. You were trying yep. to get that stump out of the yard and you went to pull up on the stump and oh, 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 my back. And so you've got that acute injury. Um, there's also chronic where your back is just, it gets sore, it gets painful pardon me, on an ongoing basis. And you've been to the doctors, you've, you've looked at it and, you know, we, we know there's nothing that needs to be quote fixed from a structural or, you know, injury standpoint, but yet you're having this chronic low back pain. So for the acute individual, we got to respect the healing process. We want you up and moving as soon as possible, and we do not want flare-ups. So in the process of getting up and moving, could the low back potentially be uh, barking at you just a little bit and, and maybe a little sore, possibly, but we're going to knock that down a little bit. We want to we do something that's easy enough so that you can get up and enjoy moving, because as we're going to talk about in the chronic situation, your body gets good at a repeated output. So if, if you want to get good at something, practice it, right? 
So if you want to get good at having low back pain, just keep doing things that give you low back pain. Um, and eventually you quit putting your hand on the hot stove and you decide I should do something different. Um, so in that acute phase, we want to follow the advice of healthcare provider. Um, we want to have early movement, but movement that does not cause any flare-ups because we don't want to go two steps forward, three steps back. Um, once you start getting past that initial phase, then it is, um, and it almost, almost kind of flips our model a little bit where I start looking for good midsection stability before I start trying to open up the mobility. Yep. Um, because if I, if one of the things that happens, uh, in that low back pain situation is you can actually lose, uh, some midsection stability because where in some instances, the body locks things down in other instances, it starts shutting things off. Um, you sprain your ankle, glute medius uh, is less active than it should be. And it's getting that inhibitory signal from the ankle uh, and it inhibits uh, that, that glute medius. So that's a known thing with ankle sprains and lower limb injuries is you need to go check glute medius and, and, and work with that. So midsection stability uh, is thrown off uh, by low back pain. And so get some midsection stability going. That can be as simple as some of the McGill big three. Uh, that can be, um, yeah, I mean, that's pretty what's one-stop shop, but you, you can just kind of throw some McGill big three in there, uh, start stabilizing that midsection. Then you can start opening up that mobility. Um, the light cardiovascular activity should be something that continues and is uh, progressed uh, in that acute phase. Chronic, um, you have that repetitive back pain. Um, Yet there's no cause. And I'm thinking of a particular student of mine who, uh, you know, has had back pain for years and has been looked at. And he's like, man, the doctors can never find anything. Okay. Well, if there's nothing to find, let's have a different conversation about your pain. So if we look at pain as a, an alarm bell and you and I are old enough to remember when everybody first got their car alarms and they had them set to sensitive and a clap of thunder happens at 3 a.m. and everybody's car alarms going off in the street, <laughs> yep. right? So that actually happens within your body. We operate normally with this kind of generous buffer zone where we can move and stress tissues and stress the body and we don't set the alarm off. We don't have pain. Now, set that alarm at a more sensitive level and now normal movement sets the alarm off just like a strong breeze or a clap of thunder would set the car alarm off. So what we do there is through graded exposure and understanding uh, two things for everybody to understand. Tissues heal. That's, and, and I pause there for dramatic effect in a very Paul Harvey style. Tissues heal. If you injured your back 15 years ago, those tissues have healed <laughs> and they actually did so within a pretty short period of time after that injury. So we are robust, adaptive creatures. Our tissues heal. So moving forward and continually telling yourself, I've got a bad back. I have this issue. I have a bad this. I... No, you don't. Tissues heal. Now, sometimes you've torn a labrum, you've torn a meniscus. And now you have something that needs to be 
to be dealt with. And no, those tissues don't heal, right? Meniscus don't have a great blood supply. They don't heal. That's, that's a different injury. Typically, the structures in the body heal. Tissues heal. So when that alarm system gets reset to a way more sensitive level, we do what's called graded exposure. We have you perform an activity, trip the alarm a little bit, and give you that moment to say, I'm good. Everything's fine. Yes, the alarm went off, but I understand that it's just the alarm that went off. There's no tissue damage associated with this. And in a process of graded exposure, we start resetting that alarm. And we open up that buffer zone again to where normal movement doesn't set the alarm off. If we're too aggressive in the acute phase and we keep setting the alarm off in the acute phase, I am setting you up for a chronic situation where I'm helping you reset that alarm to a more sensitive level instead of opening that buffer zone back up. Yeah, I really like that analogy uh, of the alarm. I, I haven't I haven't heard it put that way, but um, you know, I, I really I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna steal that, and I probably won't give you credit, so don't worry about that. Um, don't give me so, credit. So, don't don't give me credit. It's it's Adrian Lau, uh, A D R I A A N L O U W. Uh, he's from South Africa, so he spells his name just a little differently than than gotcha. I do. Now, the, the idea of graded exposure is something that obviously you mentioned it uh, from the book, but it's something that um, that I've sort of done over the years as well. So one of the other things, too, is is there's two components of graded ex exposure that we really need to consider. There's um, there is one, the neurological component of how your nervous system is going to react when you start to to push beyond that buffer zone. Right. And, and what's going to happen, how is your body going to respond? But there's also the psychological component. And if you're working with a client that is scared to death about doing a specific movement, because perhaps that specific movement months ago was the thing that got them in trouble. You need to tread very, very lightly on trying to recreate that environment because, um, if you put them in a scenario where they're already thinking, man, I'm going to move and this is going to hurt. It's not going to go well. It's not going to go well at all. So there is, there is obviously there's several components to, to, to discuss, but there's the trust component between the clinician and the patient or the trainer and the client, because, um, you know, graded exposure is a very incremental and a very nonlinear process. I wish it was stress adaptation, stress and adaptation. And we had this wonderful step ladder that just went upwards, but it's going to look like those squiggly lines. It's kind of like those, those infographics when you're like, what is progress, what you think progress is going to look like. And it's just wonderful step ladder with right angles. And then you see what it actually looks like. And it's like just squiggle. Right. But there's, there's so many things that we need to, to consider when it comes to that environment, because again, if you start to do something your nervous system doesn't like it, it will start to lock things down. But it's also an opportunity if you do it in the right incremental load. And I wish we could tell you what that is, but all, all I can say is it's going to be a very, very small incremental step and probably smaller than you think. And you need to almost create an environment where you can convince the nervous system that, hey, we're, this is okay. Like this is, this is not going to hurt us. But again, we can't forget about the psychological component of, you know, the mindset of those individuals. And, and you and I have been through so many sort of random things with our, our, our low back over the years that we kind of know like where, you know, how we're stepping and how we're progressing. We, we have a pretty good idea of like what that process looks like for, for that new individual that's never had low back pain. 
they could be scared to death that they're, you know, one sneeze or one rotation or one turn reaching something in the backseat away from, you know, having, having, you know, a, a really significant episode. So um, we can't discount the fact that, yes, we know that tissues heal. We know that there are several factors that are contributing to this entire process, but we have to also just understand the mindset of the client and patient, because um, a lot of the times the tissues will heal. And even from a, a, you know, from a physiological standpoint, from a physiological standpoint, from a neurological standpoint, things are going in the right direction. But if they don't trust the process, that's an entire different barrier that, um, that needs to be overcome. And that's just going to take time. And, and that's a combination of trust building rapport and that idea of graded exposure. Um, so it is a very incremental process. And when it comes to loading and unloading, and we've talked about this in, in some other podcasts, but um, you, you have to be able to give someone a scenario where you're going to stress the system and then you need to wait. You need to see not what's going to happen within the session. You need to see what's going to happen later that night and then the next two days. Um, because if you were thinking, hey, I'm going to do five by five light, light deadlifts, that could have been way too much. Maybe two by five is exactly what you needed, right? Maybe you start with that two by five and then you wait two days. And then the next day you say, hey, maybe you're going to go three by five or maybe you go three by four, right? I mean, there are different ways to set up sort of that rehabilitative approach, but you can't make, I would not recommend making significant jumps in, in, uh, in load and volume and intensity. It needs to be incremental and you need to respect the process, um, the healing process. And not only from, again, from that physiological level, uh, but also just from understanding that your client needs to, needs to feel okay about how things are going. And, um, that, that I can't stress that enough is that, that trust component of, of letting your client know, like, this is what it's going to look like. Like we're going to stress you and it may get a little fussy for a bit, but it may get better in two days. Right. And that might be the pattern for a while until, you know, it starts to change. Definitely. And I, I think that the, the mindset, and I kind of referred to it uh, earlier, I've never considered myself to have a bad back. I still don't consider myself to have a bad back. Have I had things happen with my back? Yes. And when I'm working with my clients, my students, um, I stop them right away. If they say, well, that's my bad. I'm like, ah, no, no, no. You don't have a bad knee, back, shoulder, whatever. Um, that's, that's, that's not the case. Um, so, you know, changing that mindset, you know, just shifting things in that more positive direction, respecting that process. Um, you know, and it, it is funny that, uh, over time, some of the times that my back would flare up, it was emotionally driven. I was under a lot of stress. Um, and all of a sudden my back gets, gets sore. And that, that is, you know, uh, a situation where that, that emotional, your body is setting the alarm off. And if that is a familiar alarm, your body's like, I know how to get his attention or I'm sorry, your brain is like, I know how to get your attention. Bing, I'm going to make your low back hurt. Um, you know, you can go back to Dr. John Sarno. You can read Lau's information and, and things like that and understand that it is this, uh, the, the, the buzzword, the term now is biopsychosocial. Um, you cannot discount the psychological component, the social component, um, and people taking ownership. Like there's, there's people that own the fact that they have back pain. They are the, they have become their diagnosis. 
right? And so breaking that mindset and saying, no, 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 you're you're still Mike. You're you're still this robust, adaptive individual whose tissues have healed, and you know we can we can make progress on this. And um, make haste slowly is the old uh, cliche that was uh, um, going through my head as you were talking about graded exposure and how you you know go back and forth and how you allow time for the response to to fully reveal itself. Um, make haste slowly. Um, that's might be the, uh, the, 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 the greatest mindset ever for these graded exposure situations is, uh, hang on just one step at a time. And if I give you 10 new exercises, if we, if we're like, ah, my back's feeling better, cool. And I throw you into a routine of 15 different exercises and you show up the next day going, oh no, my back's awful. Which of the 15 exercises did it? I'd rather that list be three. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Because I can start to make a better decision out of three of the exercises versus 15. So make haste slowly. Absolutely. And, um, you know, one of the things that is funny, you mentioned it and uh, sort of the the biopsychosocial model um, is something that, you know, old school, old school doctors don't even buy into. Um, uh, Mm -hmm. And I, I remember, gosh, when was it? It must have been several years ago, but uh, I remember going to a doctor and this wasn't my current primary care. This was another guy. And I was, you know, dealing with some low back and he's like, you know, I looked at your MRI. It's, you know, um, you know, I'm looking at the MRI and, and your back's fine. So you, you don't have any back issues. And I'm thinking, I said, well, doc, my, I said, you know, I said, I'm under a lot of stress and I got this, 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 and this, he goes, well, you know, this is, you know, low back pain is, is mechanical. And you know, the, the MRI didn't reveal anything. I was like, okay, doc. See you later. Got another doctor, but yeah. um, you cannot discount the, that component. And, you know, when I talk to my clients about stress and stress in general, like, here's the thing. If you, if you, the biopsychosocial model, um, listen, people don't necessarily know what that means, but they experience it. Oh, when I'm tight, my neck gets, when I'm, when I'm stressed, my neck gets tight or when I'm stressed, my hip bothers me. Or when I'm stressed, my low back, that that's what that is in a nutshell. Like stress is a, I always tell my clients, especially if they're dealing with stuff like this, stress is a bucket. And I don't care if it's emotional stress. I don't care if it's uh, financial stress, if it's physical stress, if that bucket's overflowed, guess what? Uh, a bunch of things are going to, you know, a bunch of, a bunch of things are going to go wrong and not to mention the sort of hormonal response from a cortisol standpoint and all the things that happen when you're stressed out. But I'm going to tell you right now, if, if, if I'm doing well, life is good. My back feels fantastic. Right. And, uh, if things are stressful and, uh, I got a lot on my mind, my back t- tends to flare up. And, and I always, uh, you know, I always joke with people and I'm like, let's say you come into my gym and, and you're, you're experiencing some chronic low back pain. And I said to you, Hey, listen, someone just came in and they just gave us each a million dollars. I guarantee you, your back pain is automatically gonzo. It's gone. Right. Did we change anything from a mechanical standpoint? No, we just changed the environment and the completely changed the situation and the mindset. Someone hands you, you know, a million dollars in cash and you had some low back pain, that low back pain is gone. Now make them back once you piss away that million bucks. But my point is, is that, um, you, we can't, we can't forget about the situational and the environmental component of where you're at, because that is going to absolutely play a role um, into, uh, you know, how you're functioning overall. So there are several components of low back pain and it's absolutely multifactorial, but 
we have to, we have to go slow and steady and, and we have to, like you said it before, the word robust, listen, guys, our, our body is, is meant to move and it's meant to adapt. Um, but again, we have to, that adaptation is not a fast progress. It's a slow progress. And we need to respect that process when it comes to, uh, when it comes to the low, low back rehab, but let's be honest, whether you're doing rehabilitation or whether you're doing strength training, it's stress and adaptation, rinse and repeat. And our goal, and you've always said this, is we want to create an environment we have positive adaptations, not negative adaptations. Because you can do a bunch of silly things and have negative adaptations. Ask me how I know. <laughs> I, I tend to uh, learn the hard way with certain things. But um, one of the things I want to kind of turn back on is, uh, you know, if someone's starting that rehab process. Um, Mike, finding. I'm a, I'm a I'm going to hop in here for just a second because I, um, the, the flip side of what you talked about and not necessarily the flip side, but another aspect of it is you went to the doc, you had this MRI, the doc says your MRI is clear. You don't have back pain. You're sitting there with raging nerve pain, knowing <laughs> that you have something going on. Um, now the flip side of that is somebody who's sitting there with no back pain and they look at the MRI and they go, how did you walk in here? Oh yeah. The nocebo effect, man. The no, exactly. So there's catastrophizing cata, cata, cata nocebo. <laughs> Did you mention a cat? I know cat, you love cats. <laughs> catastrophizing. And I, you know, you know sure, what I'm that saying? That word, that so word. What happens is you go, you get the imaging and you get this report from the radiologist and it lays out about five different things that you may not fully understand that sound awful and uh the the doc can come in the room and and look at the imaging and go my god how did you walk in here you i'm looking at your mri and there's da, 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 da. that can have nothing to do with why you have low back pain because if you take uh and everybody gets concerned about the herniated disc the slipped disc and by the way discs don't slip you have bulges or herniations um, but you, you, uh, grab a hundred healthy people off the street with no low back pain, upwards of 80% of those people will show some sort of bulge or herniation on MRI and they have no low back pain. You can, and there's all kinds of research and information out there. You can look at the same statistics for shoulders, knees, hips, backs, things that look awful on imaging, yet the person has no pain coming back to that idea that pain is an output pain is a decision by the body, uh, by the brain that, uh, that, that creates an output. Um, so you are not your MRI. You are not your diagnosis and you are not your MRI. You are a healthy, robust individual whose tissues heal. And so when you pursue the healthcare provider, which we do fully recommend, although we've both been in situations where we're like, <laughs> thanks doc, uh, on to the next. And uh, you get that report. Um, you are not your MRI. You are not your diagnosis. Uh, what showed up on that MRI imaging x-ray, whatever it is, might have nothing to do with why you're having pain. It may help provide an answer in, in some cases, and it may have nothing to do with it. Find a good clinician, find a good healthcare provider that can help you navigate that. 
like I said, you, you look at the MRI that I had uh, a couple of years ago when I was laying in a hospital bed during cancer treatment, trying to deal with my low back and nerve pain, uh, really great combo. Um, I, I, you know, I looked at it and I said, cool, I got it. I understand what's going on there. And, uh, I have not paid it more than 15 seconds of attention since then, yeah. because I am not my MRI. I am not my diagnosis. And uh, I've gotten back to a pretty good level of, of strength conditioning. And so I just wanted to, I, I, I wanted to hit on that because um, people uh, hear that message. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking of Gray, uh, who uh, was relaying the story of a, of a client uh, who um, in the process of an eval, he says, well, you know, go ahead and touch your toes. And this individual goes, I can't. And Gray says, well, I, I know you might not get there, but I, I just want to see what it looks like. Just go ahead and touch your toes. He's like, this individual's like, well, I can't. Gray's like, what do you mean? Doctor told me never to bend down and touch my toes. That was 10 years ago, brud. Like, <laughs> I, I, I think it's okay if, if we go ahead and venture into this, you know, let's go slow and, you know, try to try to get there, but let's just take a look at what it looks like. And so uh, the words, healthcare providers, doctors, PTs, personal trainers, um, and, and I mean, Think about the commercials that you see on TV. Like there's a lot of information, that nocebo information. And what we mean by nocebo, if you're, if you're unfamiliar with that term, is that's the opposite of placebo. Like if I, if I can give you something to make you uh, feel better, that's actually a sugar pill. I can give you something that makes you feel worse. That's a sugar pill that actually shouldn't make you feel worse. And so um, that's nocebo versus placebo. And so uh, definitely wanted to touch on that because I think it's a big, uh, can be a big aspect with those more chronic situations where somebody perceives that bad back. Oh, you haven't seen my x-ray. You haven't seen my MRI. There's, there's a reason my back's this bad. Maybe. I'm not yeah. saying that's, that's never the case, uh, but you're not your MRI. You're not your diagnosis. Absolutely. And it, it's funny. Um, I was a while ago researching placebo and, and nocebo and literally if you strip it down from sort of the latin origins placebo means to help nocebo means to harm i mean if i mean if that doesn't tell you uh you know a, a large part of the story i don't think anything will but um and 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 honestly when it comes to you know a lot of the modalities um that that people use to to help with the rehab process like the placebo effect can be effective i want to say between 30 and 80 percent of the time same thing with the nocebo effect, right? So, you know, is it that modality? Is it that pill or is it a placebo? And, and honestly, here's the thing. Everybody wants to get credit for helping, but at the end of the day, if you're feeling better, that's awesome. And, and like I tell my clients, they'll be like, oh, you helped me. I'll be like, listen, whether it was me, whether it was <laughs> the other things that you're doing, it doesn't matter because really what does matter is that you're feeling better. And, and that's, you know, a big component. We can talk, you know, probably in another podcast about all these various training modalities uh, and, uh, you know, the outcomes and, and why things happen and why things don't. But um, it's, it's a very, the nocebo effect is, is definitely a powerful scenario. And uh, I've seen it on several occasions too, when doctors are like squats will hurt your knees. And, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I'm like, oh gosh, because I'll be honest with you, I've worked with hundreds of people and one of the best things we've ever done is restore their deep squat. And when we restore their deep squat, things get better. <laughs> it's just how it is. And, 
when we've refrained from using things, that's when things got worse. Funny how that, funny how that happens, but Shocker. Um, yeah. So going back to the, uh, to, to the low back pain. So one of the things I want to talk about and, uh, is, is finding positions and, and finding ways to start moving because, you know, in typical sort of rehabilitative scenarios, you know, if you have a disc, a disc bulge or a disc herniation, you know, what do they say to avoid Brett flexion and rotation, flexion. right? Yep. And, and then usually if it's, if that's the case, they'll start you off with some extension biased activities like prone press ups, et cetera. But guys, here's the thing. This is why you have to find a good clinician or find someone that really understands movement. Because when I, when my back's flaring up, I do better with flexion and I do worse with extension. So yep. yes, we know that we have to look at the data on uh, the mechanisms of injury, but we also have to look at the individual and what works for them. Because I have a client right now, um, when he goes into like a deep squat with a lat stretch and he does some diaphragmatic breathing, he gets almost instantaneous relief. And he does have a disc bulge and he's been dealing with some stuff, but we bias almost all of his exercises towards a little bit more flexion. And he does incrementally better. You put him on his belly and ask him to do a prone press up. He's hurting. So you can't just say, Oh, for discs, we should do this or for spondies. We should do well. Spondies are a little bit more mechanical. So we, we won't have that discussion, but you have to look at the individual and you have to see what is going to be comfortable positions for them at first. And, and I'll be honest, if you find a handful of things at the beginning of this process that make them feel better, do that <laughs> because that also, they learn how to self-manage and, and, and honestly, self-management is probably one of most, one of the most powerful components of, of treating and managing low back pain is just having those individuals know what to do when things start to get funky and how to, how to empower them with the educational process. So they start to get better on their own. And that that's a beautiful process, right? When they don't have to rely on anybody else. And that takes that, that can take some time. hundred percent, hundred percent. It is. And that, that goes back to uh, having that confidence, not having fear, knowing that if, if, if you do get a tweak, you know how to manage it. You, you know what to do. Um, all of those are super powerful and uh, something that uh, you know should be in place. I mean, I, I certainly know that if, if things get a little funky, I, I got my, my go-to things that I'll, that I'll do. And um, it, it makes a difference. Absolutely. And uh, you know, I would say, you know, as, as we sort of wrap this thing up um, some advice for the strength and conditioning athletes, the people that like to lift and train hard um, listen at a certain point, you may not be able to do the things you've always done. And I know everybody thinks that, you know, when I was 20, I could do this. Well, yeah. If you're, if you're 45 and you're talking about when you were 20, I mean, just, you got to throw that conversation. <laughs> you just got to throw that conversation away. And, and if you find that there's certain things, certain exercises, certain training modalities that just always seem to bother you, it may be time to switch it up. And I'm talking about, and I'll give you a, a scenario for myself. Um, if I do a lot of barbell work, my, my, my low back does not respond well. It just does not. Um, if I do a lot of kettlebell work, I tend to feel that much better. And I'm not saying the kettlebell is better than the barbell, but it is. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but in my case, it's a, it's a lot more forgiving. And for me, my body responds well to that. So I would love to say that I could go and, and deadlift heavy and back squat heavy right now. But if I did that, 
with the amount of stuff that I have going on in my life, it's, it's, it's not going to go well, but you know what, if I do some training sessions with a 24 kilo bell and I focus on my technique and gradually expose my body to some volume, I feel pretty good. So you may have to check that ego at the door a little bit and, and you may have to change up the things that you've always been doing because, you know, maybe it's just your decisions and your stubbornness and your ego that's getting in the way of your rehab process. Okay. Maybe you just have to start fresh and, and work with a professional to help you get over that hump. So, um, you know, stop thinking you're, uh, you know, you're, uh, uncle Rico and saying you could throw the football over a mountain when you're 18 in high school. Right. I mean, it's no one cares about that stuff. Uh, I, I hear it all the time. So, but anyways, um, Brett, anything you'd like to add as we wrap up this episode? Well, I think that, um, <laughs> I'm still chuckling about uncle Rico. Um, I was going to use that or, um, uh, married with children, the guy's name, Al Bundy, Al Bundy. Yeah. He was the, uh, he scored four touchdowns. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder, I wonder if, oh, he's, he's older than uncle Rico. So they probably didn't play each other. Um, but anyways, no, I, two, two, I think, two, two examples. I think that, um, the, the message of find a good healthcare provider, clinician, somebody that you can work with and, and that you trust um, make haste slowly. If you sustained an injury and you need to go through that healing process, go through that healing process. If it's chronic and you need to have a better understanding of pain, let's, let's work on having a better understanding of pain. Um, I, I have gravitated towards and, and kettlebells have been my go-to for 20 plus years now and, uh, how I have rehabbed myself and come back from a variety of things. And so, you know, I, I would echo, you know, what you've said that, uh, the, my work capacity and strength and the things that I've been able to recover, uh, from whether it's back pain or cancer, whatever it is, um, those, those have been a go-to, um, maybe more than anything, this spurs some thought and some investigation, you know, understand pain better, um, uh, have those conversations with good healthcare providers and people that can, can assist you. Uh, with this situation, back pain sucks. It's yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, the, it's the, not good at all and yeah. it will ruin, it can literally ruin your life. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, you know, you, we uh, make our body, make our livings with our bodies, right? We, we travel, we teach, we, we uh, work with people, we demonstrate exercises. We try to help people all the time. And when you can't do that, I mean, it's, it's uh, it's a problem. And, and being in pain sucks. Um, it's, it's, it's not fun at all. Um, I'm not the toughest guy in the room. I'm, I'm certainly am, am able to tolerate a certain amount of, of discomfort. And, um, I'm hoping not to have to do that ever again, uh, in my life. Um, but you know, uh, if anything, I, I would hope that people listen to this and go, God, I, I need to be, I need to learn more about this, especially if you're that person that has back pain or chronic back pain. Um, and that the message that your tissues heal, you are a robust, adaptive individual human being uh, that um, you can, there is life with and after back pain. 
Absolutely. So we are going to end it on that note. So um, as always, if you enjoyed this episode, do us a favor and give us a nice review on whatever platform you're listening on. And um, if you know anybody that would uh, appreciate listening to this podcast, do us a favor and uh, share this with your friends, families, colleagues, etc. We appreciate you guys and uh, we'll see you on the next episode. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, we're going to ask you for a favor. Please leave us some positive reviews. Be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, family, and colleagues. Thanks again for listening to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast.